Amen. Well, this morning we've sang songs about the wonderful, incredible grace of our Savior. And just so we're reminded just this morning quickly that we do believe that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose from the dead, that he sits on high and he is alive and working well today in this world. And today we center to praise him and to worship him for his redeeming power in our own lives. We recognize how far we've fallen and he is the only one. In Ephesians, it says that he has reached down and pulled us up and seated us in the highest places with him. This is his great work that we celebrate this morning. Well, this morning we have a, a guest with us, and a few weeks ago, I, uh, two weeks ago, I got an email, and Sam Stevens it was in town. He's uh, the president of the India Gospel League, and he wanted to come, and we've, we've partnered with them for years, and he uh, wanted to come and just bring a greeting, and I, I kind of asked if he could come and speak. One is because uh, I do believe that God is doing a great work. He spoke here with us last year. Um, but the other is I believe that, um, I'll tell you a little bit about Sam, but before I do that, let me tell you a little bit, maybe if you didn't know this, what I believe about the church. See, the church, we say this a lot here, is a movement. The church isn't this stagnant thing where people gather, but it's a people that are moved. And Jesus, and really what we see, one of the cool things about him being here today is today is uh, Pentecost Sunday. Um, this is Ascension Sunday, some churches will call it. And it's the day that really after Easter, Jesus walked, he rose from the dead, 40 days he walked on this planet, and then he ascended to heaven. And he commissioned the church, and in that commission, he said, go and make disciples, baptize, teach to them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so Jesus makes this command, he ascends to heaven, and then he says, hey guys, wait, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And when it does, you are going to be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the very ends of this earth. And what happens is when God tells us to do something, and when he makes a promise, he never tells a lie, and it occurs. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They go, and this is that Sunday where the church is born and alive, and the movement began. And what we saw happen at the very beginnings was this movement break forth. And this movement began to move forward, and people more and more and more, and the gospel goes out to the entire known world. I'll give you a little bit of a history lesson. What happens is we get further from that point in time, the church begins to morph and change. And by late 300, almost 400, we see that the church becomes institutionalized um, by Constantine. And we see the church become a place of brick and mortar, and stained glass and cathedrals becomes a place of oppression and maybe some of the greatest atrocities in the world. But then 1600, there's a significant thing that changes and happens, the Reformation. And in the Reformation, there was men that said, hey, the normal and everyday person can understand their Bible. And they began to give the, the church back to the people of what it was formed at the beginnings of that movement. We began to see the church begin to move out and become to embrace the Word of God. And men began to teach the Word of God as it was from the text, not from the context and, or not, not from the, 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 the traditions of the church, but from the truth of just what the Scriptures said. And men and women began to try to wrap their lives around that. I believe that today we live in a time of the third, uh, another Reformation. And that other Reformation that I believe that we are in today See, in the Reformation, the church got their Bible back. But I believe in many ways they're still waiting on their ministry. 
The church forever was in this place where clergy did ministry and the people just attended and watched. But I believe we're in a day where that's happening. And the reason I say that as I introduce Sam, and the reason that I want him to speak to us is um, since 1992, they planted 85,000 churches in India, Nepal, and Sri Lanka. And they've done it believing the base principle that God could empower men and women to do far beyond what they could ever think or dream or imagine because God indwells them and he loves the people and he is empowering them. And he is a man that I believe is a part of one of the largest movements in the world today. And I'm not saying that in a fantastic way. I think what is happening through the India Gospel League is one of the largest gospel movements in the world today. And Sam is our president, and he is leading the way from the foundations of going into the churches when they began this work of just dreaming and proclaiming the gospel to today managing a movement that is far greater even today, knowing that many of his pastors could be murdered for their faith in the northern area, well, through all out the regions where they work. Sam is a great man, and we are privileged to have him with us today. Sam, if you'll come, I want to pray for you and speak. Let's welcome him this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for Sam. Lord, thank you for making him who he is. And Lord, you've given him such faith. And Lord, for that, we praise you. Lord, we pray that today as you, as he speaks to us from your word, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would help us to hear from you individually and together as a community that we might live out your ways as you intended. Lord, anoint him, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. What a privilege it is for me to be here with you today. When I sent this email and asked if I could uh, come and worship with you, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I just wanted to have the privilege of being in your company and uh, seeing Pastor Ryan bring a word of greeting perhaps and uh, have the opportunity to say thank you for your partnership and just worship with you. But I'm honored uh, that Pastor Ryan would ask me to share this uh, morning's message with you. It's such a great privilege. I want to thank you for your partnership with us in this great ministry. As a result of this, God is doing some amazing things in the country of India, Sri Lanka, and Nepal, where we have newly started our ministry. Currently, we're working with about 7,000, between six and 7,000 church planters, and each one of them is committed to go into one unreached village every year and plant a church. We define a church as 20 adult baptized members. And then even before a church is planted, we encourage our believers to go out and witness to at least one other person before they are baptized. So their own disciple is standing next to them, watching them being baptized. And that is how the churches are growing and multiplying. As Pastor Ryan pointed out, a movement of uh, intensive, intentional church planting was started in the year 1992. It started with the goal of planting 1,000 churches by the year 2000. And at that time, it started with about 200 people who were committed to that. And uh, it gradually grew, not gradually, exponentially grew. God grew it. And... Uh, Eventually, by the year 2000, we found that God had helped us to plant over 20,000 churches. A goal of 1,000 by the year 2000 grew into 20,000 churches, 
And since 1992, God has helped us to plant over 80,000 churches in villages that are being reached for the very first time in India, Sri Lanka, and in Nepal. God is doing some amazing things as never before. We have these huge challenges. On the one hand, vast areas of this geography of South Asia that has never been reached with the gospel. And yet we find that wherever the gospel is being proclaimed and preached, larger and larger numbers of people are coming to Jesus Christ. In just the past 12 months, through the initiative of the India Gospel League alone, and there are others just like us working in that region, God has helped us to plant over 7,900 churches in a 12-month period. That is how the church is growing. That is how God is moving. I call it the third wave, a mighty wave of God that's sweeping across the continents. And you hear the same story time and time again in India, Asia, Africa, and Latin America. The church is growing. God is doing some amazing things. And it is time for the church, global church worldwide, to wake up, to see and recognize what God is doing, the unique ways in which God is moving. Come alongside and work with God in his great task. I'm so thankful today to you for your partnership with us in this ministry. In the past years, you particularly helped us with our Children's Gospel Club program. Uh, Children's Gospel Club program, it starts with uh, initially very similar to your Vacation Bible School program, but then we don't stop there. It's an ongoing, systematic, three-year curriculum that we follow for children between 5 and 15 years of age. This year, the total enrollment is 800,000 children. We're working in 11 language areas throughout India, Sri Lanka, and Nepal. About 80,000 young people, just like these young people seated here, new believers in our churches, they are trained to teach these children. They are volunteer teachers, so every week they form the clubs and, and teach the children. That is their opportunity to be discipled because they themselves are learning these new stories and, and scripture lessons, but they also have the opportunity to be involved in ministry and uh, allow God to use them uh, within the context of the local church. That is how the church is growing. I'm so grateful for your partnership with us. I'm thankful for those of you who have come to India, visited the ministry, helped us in many different ways. We've had medical teams from here. We've had teams of women who have come from here, helping with the teaching and training and equipping of our women leadership. One of the goals that we have is to train and equip 150,000 women, new believers in these churches, uh, to be involved in ministry and personal evangelism and discipleship and teaching and leading groups. God is now raising women church planters as a result. We started this movement called Women with the Mission in 1996. And it was a revolutionary thing to talk about women in, in leadership positions within the church. Uh, culturally, you know, women are looked down upon. And there's also a huge barrier between the genders. So if anything good is going to happen among the women in the country, if God is to move among the women, we have to equip women. And it was with this vision that we started this movement. Uh, there, was, there was, you know, people were very apprehensive about it, but it has really revolutionized the ministry, where women once thought that they had no role in the, in the church and leadership, that they had no role in ministry. They are now beginning to understand that God has a unique place for them in ministry. 
and uh, as we have moved forward encouraging teaching and training these women and some of you as teams have come and helped us in that and we are very grateful for that we see the church exploding as an explosive growth of the church in India because of the involvement of believers in ministry and that is something that I would like to remind you of before I move any further um, I'm reminded of, I, I spoke to my wife early this morning. She told me two things. She said, one, you will see several of my friends there, people who've come to India. Make sure that you say hello to them for me, greet them for me. And she said, secondly, make sure that your shirt matches with your pants. <laughs> so greetings to you from my wife, Prathi. And I hope my shirt matches with my pants. On the 10th of May, we celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. 38 years. Thank you. But I, I, was, I was here at that time, and she's back in India. I'm traveling by myself for a brief time here. And so when we were talking, you know, she said, and the, from the day one that we got married, I made this deal with God. I said, what is it? She said, I prayed to God. I said, Lord, if you will make him successful, I will keep him humble. <laughs> and I think she's doing her job very well. <laughs> and God is still working on me. But it's so good to be here. Um, the India Gospel League is involved in four different kinds of ministries, not necessarily four different kinds, but it, I would say it stands on four pillars of ministry. Number one, it's evangelism and church planting. We go out into the rural villages, bring the gospel message, but we don't stop there. We ensure that believers are effectively, adequately discipled and equipped to multiply themselves. Um, and then we come alongside and train them and equip them in social and economic development. That's our second area of work, rural development. Uh, India is still very lags behind in economic development. There's a tremendous amount of material and uh, all kinds of needs as we go into these villages. And so we equip the local church to bring about transformation and change and development in the communities. And so we bring these kind of training to the churches when they are planted. Believers are trained to do that. The third area of our ministry is among children. It is said that nearly 40% of India's population, which is 1.3 billion people, are children below 14 years of age. So you need to understand the importance of investing in the lives of children. India Gospel League works with about 10,000 children through its uh, children's homes, orphanages as you might call them, and uh, daycare programs that we have where life centers in these villages are, are provided. And uh, through our Christian schools, we reach out to close to 10,000 children. So we have an extensive children's ministry, and that's an opportunity where you can pray for as well as support uh, children. And the fourth area is our medical outreach. We have a hospital in Salem, but that's not the only one uh, that we have. A more extensive medical work is done through the churches that are planted. We take health care, community health care, awareness program, and so on into these villages. So those are the four major areas uh, that IGL is involved in. And I want to ask you for your prayer as you continue to uh, partner with us. It's time, uh, it's, it's an amazing time of ministry in India, and this is a time where 
we really need a lot of prayer. We must never forget that ministry, planting churches, and the kind of work that we are doing on the front lines is really a spiritual warfare. It is a battle, and we cannot move forward in this battle without a lot of prayer. And I want to encourage you to pray uh, for the needs that we face. Pray for the changing political climate in the country. It's becoming more and more difficult for us to witness and work. Although there is great response among people, uh, great receptivity among the people for the gospel, there's also organized opposition from militant Hindus. Just two days ago, I received uh, pictures on, on, on my phone of uh, one of our pastors who was beaten to death. And that's not unusual to happen. Uh, it happens quite often in, it's in, in many different parts of the country. So as we face uh, such kinds of opposition and persecution, uh, we need your prayer covering. Um, thousands of these barefoot pastors and their families out on the front lines of battle, they need your prayer. And I want to urge you to pray. Pray for the country of India, that it will remain open. Pray for the political situation that uh, the government and administration will remain open and conducive to missions and Christian work. Pray that we will have the freedom and the open doors. Pray that even through the persecution that the church goes through, that God's grace will be sufficient for the needs of the church. I wouldn't necessarily pray, ask you to pray that there will not be persecution because God takes his people through difficulties God takes his church through these difficult situations. And through that, God helps his people to understand what our priorities are. God helps his people through these difficulties to stay focused on him. Helps the church to understand what its true calling and mission is. So I wouldn't necessarily ask you to pray that God won't take us through persecution. But even as we go through this. Pray that God will help us to stay focused and, and remain committed to the call that God has placed upon our lives. We're not afraid of being persecuted. We're not afraid of the opposition. But what I'm really afraid of is that we will turn away from the purpose that God has for us. And sometimes God takes his church through these kind of difficult situations so that he can purify them, purge them, and, and help them to understand what their priorities are and help them to be dependent on him, bring them closer to one another, not be diversified in their, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, in different, not be diverted in their attention with different things, but stay focused on, on the mission to which the church has been called. I truly believe that as the gospel takes roots in the Indian soil, that India has the hope of being transformed. I truly believe that. The local church is the hope of that nation, and that's why we believe so much in planting churches in these unreached villages. India has about 600,000 villages with an average of 1,500 people each to these villages. And uh, it is said that about 100,000 or 150,000 villages have some kind of a Christian witness in them. Maybe one single Christian or a single Christian family or a small church, a congregation of believers, that still leaves 450,000 villages without any kind of Christian witness. Despite, despite the fact that the, the Christian faith has been in India for 
several centuries. In fact, it dates way back to the very first century. And yet we find that many millions have never heard the message. And this is our burden. We've also seen that wherever the gospel takes roots in the soil, in these villages, we see dramatic changes happen. The gospel has the power to transform. We must never undermine the power of the gospel. And these are things that I would like to remind you as a church today. That you have, God has given you the power to transform your community. If it's happening in India, it can also happen here. Please turn with me to um, the book of Revelation chapter 3. I'd like to draw your attention to a few verses here, starting from verse 1. Let me read this, this, these verses to you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. The angel of the church in Sardis, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You're familiar with the, the letter to the seven churches. The apostle John, sitting in the island of Patmos, gets this revelation, word from God, and he's writing to the churches. And in every one of these warnings to the churches, there's, there's some commendation, encouragement, and then there's also a warning. But when you come to this, uh, the, the words to the letter, the words to the church in Sardis, it doesn't talk of the wrong things that the church was doing, but pretty much talks about the right things that the church did not do. It wasn't sin of commission, it was sin of omission. They were doing everything right. And when you looked at the church from the outside, the Word of God says it's had a reputation of being alive. This little town of Sardis was like a touristy place. I believe people used to come from different places. It was a destination city. People would come here for a good time, for vacation, uh, and, and the streets were always joyful. People selling things on the streets. There was a lot of singing and dancing and so on. So I, it was, was considered as a joyful city. Everything was beautiful and happy from the outside, but it was also a sinful city. There was a lot of darkness when, they, when you look deeper into it. And it looks like the same kind of culture had crept into the church as well. It was probably a joyful situation as you, as in, in the congregation of believers. Everything seemed to be fine, and yet God who looks at the deep, Depths of the heart says that you have the reputation of being alive. Looking from the outside, everything seems okay, but you are dead. And why does he say that? He says, I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. In other words, you're not doing certain things that you need to be doing. I don't see certain things that I'm expecting from you as a church. And that's the problem with you. And that's why I think you're dead. But then, remember what, um, and verse 2 says, Wake up, 
strengthen what remains and is about to die. And yet, God says, you, you have within you the seeds of life which I have planted. And if you would only awaken to the situation in which you are in, you can come back to life. And that was the warning that was given to the church in Sardis. It comes as a tremendous reminder to us. Even as God is moving today, He's reminding the church of its purpose. Three questions I'd like to place before you. Number one, how? Three challenges that face us today. How can the church become more purposeful? When Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples and said, go teach and preach and make disciples of all nations, I don't believe that Jesus had in mind the kind of institutionalized church that we have now. It's so hard to think of church without a building. The moment you talk about church, it's always the building, it's always the programs, it's always the activities. I'm not condemning it, I'm not saying anything bad about it, that's the way we have become. But when you, when you look at the purpose of the church, it was supposed to really be a movement, a vibrant, living movement of people who had a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And then everything else comes later. The form, the function comes later. But really it was to be a movement of people. That was what I, I, I truly believe that Jesus intended when he gave the Great Commission to his disciples to make disciples of all nations, worshiping congregations of believers. And the purpose for the church was that they would be an extension of the mission for which the Father sent the Son to this world. Jesus looked at his disciples in John, we read. He said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. The church was always meant to be a vibrant movement of God's people who had a close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, who would continue to fulfill the purpose for which Jesus came. With the same power and the same authority and the same message of redemption, liberation, proclaiming God's power to the people. And being a light to the community. When God called Abraham, we go back to the Old Testament. That was the purpose for the call of Abraham. That God would use him to bless the nations. He was to be the father of, of, of God's people. Then as we see that he chose a nation, chose a people for himself. There was a purpose for that. Yes, it was to bless them. But they were blessed to be a blessing. They were to be the light to the nations. It was the way that God moved and acted in their history that nations looking at them were to know who the true and mighty God was. That they were to reveal the power of God through the way they lived and moved. But eventually, as we see in history, they had lost vision of that purpose for which they had called. And that's the same purpose as we continue that Jesus, that God has for the church today. That the church would continue powerfully the redemptive purposes for which Jesus was sent to this earth. As the Father sent me, so send I you. We are God's people 
sent into the world. Yes, we come together to worship the Lord, and that is important. There are two beautiful Greek words that are used to describe the church, and we read, read this in the epistles. Number one is ecclesia, called people. God has called us out of this world, out of this darkness into his light, but he has called us for a purpose. The calling doesn't simply end simply being called as God's people, but we are called for a purpose. And it's important for us to find out how today we can truly be the ecclesia, the called people who are called with a purpose and for a purpose, and that is to continue the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. The church is also called the oikos, or the household of God. Paul takes this concept from his time, from the Roman culture, where the household included the family, but also all the people working in that household, related to the household, caring for one another, caregiving, fellowship. And another, another beautiful Greek word is koinonia, which is fellowship. It's a fellowship of believers. It's a called out people. It's the household of God where we care for one another, we love one another, embrace one another, accept one another, encourage one another, exhort one another. The household of God, but it's also the koinonia, the fellowship of believers. Yes, that's true. That's all important, but there's a greater purpose. Unfortunately, over the centuries, we've come to talk of these things and become so inward-looking that we have forgotten the true mission for which we are called. And that is to carry out God's redemptive purpose in this earth and live out truly as witnesses wherever God has placed us in. The contexts in which we are placed. When we provide a church building in our villages, we call them life centers. We don't necessarily call them church buildings. And that's exactly what they are. Just like your sanctuary, we build a small building for the village people, but it also becomes a resource for them to reach out to the community. The community sees that as a place where they can come and use it for various purposes. That's the purpose of the church, to reach out to the community, to impact the community, to bring about transformation in the community, to bring about changes in the community. We still have the ability to do that. That's the mission of the church. And the question before us is how can we become a group of believers, a congregation of believers who can be more purposeful in our calling? Whether individually or as a family or as a corporate body of Christ. Are we just an institution or are we truly the incarnated presence of Christ in the communities where we are placed. We are the body of Christ. That's the term that's used for the, for, the, for the church, the body of Christ, which means wherever we are, people can see Jesus Christ. They can feel him. They can hear his voice. They can feel the embrace of his love in many different ways. Through the compassion that we show, they can experience the compassion of Jesus Christ the incarnated presence of Christ, the body of Christ. That's the mission that we are called to, and that's the purpose we have. 
as much as we gather together, we must not forget that the calling is also to be scattered into the community. The second challenge that stands before us is how can we as a congregation of believers, how can we as the church truly become effective in our witness, productive? Number one, how can we be purposeful? Number two, how can the church become more productive? And I think these were the deficiencies in the churches, the seven churches, of course, we see in, the, in, in all of the others, but particularly in Sardis. They had lost their purpose, and they were also not productive. I want to remind us, my friends, today that the church is not a place where we come to be entertained, but it's a place where we come to be equipped and empowered for ministry. We've come to the point where we have this tendency or this mindset within us where we think that ministry is only the sole proprietary of a certain number of people who are in leadership. The preacher who pre preaches and, and people in leadership, that's what their ministry is about. And we forget that each one of us, no matter who we are, no matter how old we are, no matter at what level or status we are, we all are called to ministry. Must never forget that. I see a whole lot of young people you're probably wondering, what kind of ministry would I have in the church? I want to challenge you. This church will never become productive until every single believer understands what their call is and are committed to be involved in the ministry that God has for each one of them. And while, while Paul was writing to the Ephesians, that's what he was talking about. Each one of us is gifted in certain ways. It's important for us to find out what our giftings are and commit to use those gifts and skills for the building of God's kingdom. This is not a place where we just come once a week to, to, to be entertained or to be encouraged. Yes, it's important. But we don't stop there. This is a, the church, as the coming together of believers is a place where we are equipped and empowered to reach out into the communities and be witnesses for Jesus Christ. The church in India is growing not because of the skills of leadership. It's not because of the great strategies we have and the planning we do and things like that. It's not because of the administ administrative capabilities that we have. It's because every believer is committed to multiply themselves. And that's one thing that we teach them right from day one. We tell them, God has called you so that you can be a blessing to others and you need to witness to others. And I think I told you that even before we baptize our new believers, we encourage them to witness to one other person and bring them, disciple them while we baptize them. We impress upon their hearts that every single believer is called to ministry. The Great Commission was not just given to a few the Great Commission is given to every single person who believes they are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Disciples who make disciples is what will make the church productive. The church needs to change 
from a place of entertainment today to a place of equipping and empowering its believers. Often we come and think that the church is the destination. The church isn't the destination. Our coming together, gathering together is not the destination. You know, I've, I've been traveling since 1981 internationally. Been to many different countries and seen many airports. And I've seen how these airports have grown larger and larger and larger and how more airports have been built. And when you go into some of these airports, you know, you have everything that you want there. Huge shopping malls and uh, restaurants and, you know, one of the most beautiful airports in the world, I think, is in Singapore. You have everything there, including, including spas and, and so on. You don't have to leave the airport. But you don't go to the airport to go to the airport. No matter how beautiful it is, no matter how much the conveniences are, no matter how comfortable you feel there, you don't go to the airport just to go to the airport. You go to the airport to go somewhere else. That's not your destination. But somehow we've come to think that, you know, coming together like this is the end. This is a place, my friends, where we come to be equipped, to be encouraged, to be empowered, so that we can go to our destination, which is the communities, the contexts in which God has placed us. That is how the church will grow. That is how the kingdom will grow. That is God's intention for the church. That's God's intention for you, each one of us. If the church is growing in other parts of the world, the reason is because believers are sharing what God is doing to them in their lives with others. The third challenge I'd like to place before you and the question that stands before us is how can the church become more powerful? We don't realize the kind of power and authority that is given to us as believers, as disciples, and as a church. We don't realize the potential that the gospel holds. We don't realize how powerful the word of God is. We don't realize how powerful the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is within our lives. You know, I learned this very early in my ministry. I was just out of Bible school and uh, it was an early period. We were going into these unreached villages. And in, in, at one time we entered this village and we, uh, we, we used to carry the Jesus film. We showed the Jesus film there. There was a tremendous response to the film at that time. People by the hordes would come to Jesus Christ. Anyway, we were carrying this huge equipment on our shoulders, the generator, the projector, and all of, that, all of this because this was a remote village. We had to carry it. And even as we were entering into that village nearby, we saw a woman crying at the top of her voice, screaming at the top of her voice and running towards us. Her hair was down and she was screaming, Oh, these Jesus people have come. These Jesus people have come. Now I cannot stay in this village anymore. I cannot live in this village anymore. Apparently we found that she was demon-possessed. Her family had tried all kinds of witchcraft and other things to, to cast away this demon, but it wouldn't go. It was torturing, tormenting her. But then, although no one in that village had ever heard about Jesus, the moment we were entering into that village, 
she realized, the evil spirit within her realized that the power of God was coming into that village and that that evil spirit could not be there anymore. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus. They understand how powerful the gospel is. They understand the power that indwells within us and we don't realize that. When Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So go and make disciples. And when he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you, it also meant that the same authority, the same power that was given to him is also given to us. How many of us really realize that we have that power within that can work miracles? Acts chapter 1 and 8 reads, And when the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you will receive. Come on. I'm, I'm used to a different kind of preaching. When I, when I preach in my, my place, you know, people would be shouting, Hallelujah, Amen, and they respond. But So when the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you will receive power. power. The Greek word is dunamis, which is the root word from which we get dynamite. Really. When the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and indwell within you. It will burst within you. It will explode. It's like dynamite. You can't hold it inside. It will manifest itself in many different ways. Greater things you will do is what Jesus said to his disciples. That is the call of the church. The church has the power to transform our community and the world. How many of you believe it? It's not enough to believe it. I think we should go out and put it to practice. Exercise that power. I want to close with this uh, kind of funny story. Uh, the early days when electricity was just coming and new. I believe it came to a village and uh, an elderly lady in a, village, in, in, in a village, she got this electric power connection in her house. And then later every month, the person who comes to read the meters and, and, uh, and see it, um, he came by and he saw that the lady had not used her power at all. And so he didn't ask it the first time, but a month later he came back again and he saw that the meter had not gone any further. He hadn't, she hadn't used it. So he stopped by and he said, I noticed that you have been using your electricity. She said... Oh, in the evenings, I just turn it on to find my candles. I light it and turn it off. <laughs> she has something so powerful and potential with her that she never used. And that's how it is with the church today. And I pray that God will take us as a congregation of believers and work his power through us that will show in the context and the communities in which we are placed. How can we be more purposeful? How can we be more productive? And how can we be more powerful? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we do pray and we ask 
you would give us, help us to hear <clears throat> the very smallest level in this church, individually in each, inside of each and every one of our hearts, inside of each of our lives. Lord, we recognize that you have, you have done a great work, that you've given us everything we need, that you have a desire for us to be men and women who are awake, who are alive to your truth, who, who live it out in the day-to-day of our lives. And so for the person, the man, the woman, child in this room who they heard even the text, and they recognize, or they, they look as though they're alive, but they know deep inside they're dead. They've not been brought to life by you, Lord. I pray today you bring them to faith, that you'd help them to, to renounce their sin and turn in faith toward you and bow themselves down, Jesus, to be changed, transformed by you. Others of us in the room have recognized that, Lord, there's a faith that you've given. It's genuine. You've changed us and transformed us. But, Lord, there's not a lot to work with. And so would you give us faith? Would you change us? Would you move us to begin to work on those things you've given and grow us more and more to be people that live for your kingdom, for your purposes, for your glory. Lord, for all of us, would you shift our minds? Would you shift our minds to see the church, to see your body as you made it to be? Or would we see your church as a movement would you help us each to take individual responsibility that we are the church and together we represent you as, as the body of Christ, your body in this world. Lord, we say to you, we thank you for the message. And Lord, as we sing and as we conclude our time together, help us to not rush away. But Lord, wherever we are, as we sing this song, as we sit here, Lord, whether it's new faith, to renounce sin, to turn ourselves toward you and your purposes. Lord, would you have your way now as we sing and help us to deal with that that you've said to us today. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.